Kathy Burton with Redeema here on Premier Christian Radio, 20 minutes to 11. Well, we've already talked this morning about uh, Catherine Welby, the Archbishop of Canterbury's daughter, speaking last week about her battle with depression. And this morning, we want to offer you some encouragement and advice. Uh, I've got Reverend Will Vanderhart in studio, one of the directors of Mind and Soul here. Good morning, Will. Good morning, Maria. Lovely to be back on the show. Great to have you here, and uh, an honour to have a man on a woman's show. You managed to sneak in. But <laughs> sneaking twice now. <laughs> I know. I'm very honoured. Thank you. Now, Will, a lot of people will go through down periods in their life. They'll have a time where they feel a bit down. They might say, oh, I'm feeling a bit depressed. But is that different from proper diagnosed depression? Yes, Maria. I mean, th- there are, uh, uh, when we talk about depression, we should recognise that there are a whole load of different sorts of depression, uh, the different categories of depression themselves. Uh, but also, also, you know, hear people say things like, oh, I'm feeling pretty depressed today. And uh, let's face it, a lot of us got up, uh, you know, on Tuesday after a lovely bank holiday weekend and thought, oh, I'm feeling pretty low today. <laughs> yes. Can't believe I've got to go back to work. Mm. That's very different to uh, depression. Uh, depressions, typically we're talking about something called unipolar depression today. Um, you will have heard, many of the listeners will have heard about manic depression or bipolar disorder, which is a sort of depression which swings between low feelings and then very high feelings. Today, really on the show, we've been talking about uh, just the low end, uh, so what we call unipolar, one direction uh, depression. And, and some of the physiological symptoms uh, are quite pronounced, uh, physical symptoms like um, slowing down, loss of appetite, um, aches and pains, lack of energy and the like. They will sound relatively normal to some of us. Yes. <laughs> but then um, the psychological symptoms, including continuous low mood or sadness, often for two weeks or more. So we're not just talking about one day here. Feelings of hopelessness and helplessness, uh, feelings of low, low self-esteem, tearfulness, guilt, lots and lots of guilt in depression, uh, irritableness, a feeling of intolerance of others. And then there's social symptoms. Symptoms as well. So three sort of categories of symptoms, including not really doing very well at work and withdrawing from social activities and relationships, neglecting hobbies and things that you enjoy. So uh, depression is a kind of a, a very big picture. Yes. Um, and, and, and actually diagnosis of depression means pulling together lots of different symptoms, normally five or more symptoms from the three different groups that have been persistent, say for mm. two weeks or more, as I say. So, so, so we're looking at much more than um, a bad day. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it, you know the, 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 our experience really with this is, is it, is it enduring and is it deeply painful and, mm. and, and, and uncomfortable? But I guess uh, a lot of people will be reluctant to go to the doctor if they're in that situation and actually get a diagnosis. So it's quite possible there are some people listening thinking, well, that, that fits where I'm at, but I've not been to a doctor to tell them this is how I feel. Absolutely. And we see diagnosis is um, increasing because, not you know, there's a lot of rhetoric, isn't there, that everyone's now depressed. Actually, uh, probably the same number of people struggling with depression as ever was. But what we're finding now is because mental health is now you know, on the table and, and in the open in society, and because shame and stigma is reducing, uh, something we continue to hope to work on, um, people are more willing to go and talk to their GP about it and, and actually begin to get help. But you know, one in four uh, UK uh, citizens will suffer from depression in their lifetime. So it, 25% of any church uh, will be Very high touched statistic, by, isn't it? by depression. And, yeah, and what we also know is, is a lot of people struggle with depression for years before getting diagnosis. There's one particular sort of depression, it's called dysthymia, which is sort of a low-level depression. And people can continue to be very functional, they just feel very sad. Um, and, and, and some people go for 10 years or more without actually receiving a diagnosis and assistance, uh, which could actually relieve the symptoms. So it, it's a big issue, and it touches most people's lives. Remember that grief is depression with a purpose. So the symptoms of a very extreme bereavement are the same as the symptoms of a significant depression. But behind them is obviously the catalyst for change as we, as, as we come to terms with the loss of a loved one. So most people will have an experience of some of these symptoms in yes. their lifetime. Now, later on in the show, we're also going to be talking about OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. We'll focus on that more later in the second half of the show. But just to start us off, what exactly is that? Because a lot of people will almost jokingly say, oh, that's a bit OCD. Yes, famously this? David Beckham uh, said he was a bit OCD about making sure the Coke cans in his fridge all, all lined up with the same kind of side of advertising or something like that. I'm not sure if he was paid by Coca-Cola to say that. <laughs> yes. But it, you know, hear a lot of these kind of throwaway comments, I'm a little bit OCD. I mean, anyone who um, orders their pencil crayons or, you know, cleans their kitchen uh, very determinedly says they're a bit OCD. OCD is actually 
uh, a very, very pernicious mental health problem. It affects about 2% of the population, um, and diagnosis of OCD is increasing. 40% of people with OCD never actually receive a diagnosis um, because there's so much shame involved in the disorder. And OCD is a thought problem. It's not uh, necessarily so much an action problem. So it contains two components, uh, obsessions, which are the thoughts, and the compulsions, which are the activities that someone undertakes to get rid of the thoughts. So if I, if my obsession is... Um, responsibility for the safety of others, my compulsion might be walking along the street and every time I see a piece of broken glass, I pick it up and put it in a bag. Um, because actually in my mind I'm believing that I'm protecting the public from the present danger. And what typically happens with OCD if it's left untreated is that the compulsions begin to steal someone's life um, and they become less and less active, more and more consumed with the uh, compulsion and less able to function in society. But yes. it's, it's a really unpleasant disorder, something we'll spend some time talking about in yes. a bit more detail uh, later and I, uh, No doubt from your description impacts the people around those who've got it just as much as the people oh, who've got hugely. it. Hugely, yeah, absolutely. Now, I mentioned at the start of the show, um, the Archbishop of Canterbury's daughter, Catherine Welby, spoken out uh, just in the, in the last few days about her experience of depression. And I think hearing this phrase, Christians who are depressed, people think, well, surely that can't be the case. If you're a Christian, then you've got joy and hope and freedom. So how does this work? I mean, this has been a great opportunity for us to talk about Christians having depression with her vocalising her experiences. Yeah, um, Catherine has been brilliant. I mean, not only is she a brilliant writer and communicator, but she's, she's been incredibly brave and authentic about her own journey. And I think her, her, you know, her reflection has been that she's been treated one of two ways. Either she lacks faith, she's not a proper Christian, or you know, she's, she, you know, she needs to snap out of it, uh, or God is really present with her in her suffering. And she, she referenced in her article how the Book of Job supported her very much and continues to support her through her ongoing struggles with depression. Actually, the Bible is filled with depressed people. Um, <laughs> I, I did a, a reflection on suicide recently and, and, and I studied the scriptures and I, I found four of the key characters who'd all asked the Lord to take their life because they didn't wow. want to live anymore. So, you know, we, we create a parody of the scriptures when we start saying things like the Bible's full of happy people. And there's, there's a book called Lamentations, yes. <laughs> which is yeah. just all about the lament. Yes. You know, or, you know, even some of the psalms David uh, was quite David, in I agony mean, in 51 and you know David was certainly um, lost in the bowels of something we would mm. identify now potentially to be a, a debra- depressed state um, and Jesus himself whilst Jesus I'm sure wasn't depressed in that category did not demonstrate just up emotions you know Jesus was sad Jesus shed tears it says Jesus wept in John's gospel uh, Jesus suffered extreme emotional distress and in the garden of Gethsemane it says that you know he he was so distressed that his sweat was like drops of blood I, I don't think you get more distressed than that um you know and his his emotions demonstrate the full spectrum of 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 the, what we call the yellow emotions, the happy, positive, you know, optimistic, content and the like, and also the purple emotions, you know, the, the, the anxious, you know, uh, Lord, if it be your will, take this cup from me. Mm. Um, and who wouldn't be anxious if they're looking towards a physical crucifixion? Yes. So, we, we, you know, the whole uh, name it, claim it culture around emotions is, is very dangerous and it's not biblical. It's very interesting because on Facebook, one of our listeners this morning has shared that he's suffered um, with depression, Doug. Um, and he said, the way he describes it, he said, I've seen many shrinks over the year, but they've just stuck me in one category, saying that everything stems from the abuse I suffered as a child. And it's interesting that often people in the church would say, oh, well, if you've got depression, it must be because either something negative's happened to you, either you've done something wrong, someone's done something to you. Uh, can that be quite an unhelpful way of approaching it? I think it can. And Jesus approached uh, you know, a, a man who was blind in the street and his disciples said you know who sinned uh, this man sin or was it his mother and father and Jesus said no it wasn't this man who sinned nor his mother and father this happened so the kingdom of God might be demonstrated before you and I think what, what's helpful about that uh, story is that uh, Jesus is demonstrating that illness uh, physical or mental doesn't stem uh, solely from m- sin or from the mistakes that people make or the or, or the activities that have have taken place against a person. I mean, much depression uh, does have its roots in childhood trauma. But the source of the trauma doesn't mean that the depression is immovable. (laughs) Actually, I've met and worked with many people who've suffered from childhood abuse and have been depressed as a result, who've made a great recovery. Uh, But it's definitely a journey. And, Mm. um, you know, we have to be really careful about hard and fast categories and just remind the listeners that, 
when someone says they're depressed, they have a unique story mm. and they've got a unique experience. And that uh, to suggest that 25% of the church are, you know, spiritually reprehensible and therefore they're suffering from this kind of dark depression as a result of their faithlessness, I think is, I mean, it's heretical at, at, at the very best. <laughs> it certainly is as far away from the biblical narrative as you could possibly get. You know, these, these are people who are struggling, but mm. they, these are still the saints. Um, and it's people like Martin Luther and John Bunyan, uh, um, Samuel Johnson, who've suffered from chronic it's depression. Mother Teresa, it, realize, yeah. Florence Nightingale. Uh, these were all deeply, terribly depressed people. Mm. Um, John Bunyan with terrible OCD. Um, and uh, you know, we would never say that they weren't the saints of the church. No, would we, we certainly wouldn't. We certainly wouldn't. Just, uh, I just want to respond quickly to a text message that's come through from a lady. She says, "Hi, Maria. My husband's suffering de- from depression and OCD. We're really struggling. I do have to go." out and I'm going to miss the show. Will it be able to listen back? Yes, we'll make sure that the show is available to listen back on the Woman to Woman website which is premier.org.uk forward slash woman. One of the things I'm picking up as we're talking, Will, is that actually a lot of people can perhaps take a sense of guilt on themselves uh, as Christians if they're suffering from depression. Think, well, I shouldn't be as a Christian. Just an overwhelming sense of guilt. I can't tell people in the church because they'll judge me. We talked earlier on about a stigma. There still is very much a stigma surrounding depression in the church. Yeah, um, guilt is the big word at the moment. And um, actually, Rob and I, who run Minor Soul, are just writing our new book. It's called Guilt Trip at the moment. There was a film called Guilt Trip, so we're we're possibly going to change the title because it wasn't a great film. Uh, But uh, that comes out next summer. We're looking at uh, issues of neurotic guilt. You've got to remember that guilt is a symptom of depression. So the way your brain is affected, the way your brain is affected in depression is that your emotions actually shift away from positive emotions, away from free, from a sense of freedom, uh, into all of your worst hits basically appear in your mind when you're depressed. And so people who are depressed feel guilty already. And so what we're doing in the church when we treat people with depression badly is we're compounding their guilt. We're actually adding guilt to their guilt. Mm. So, you know, if their symptom of depression is guilt already and then they're experiencing a sense that actually their faith is poor, uh, they're then experiencing a new guilt. One of the other symptoms of depression, particularly deep depressions, is that people struggle to actually feel a sense of the presence of God. So many people, I mean, Catherine Welby was quite unique in the sense that she said when she was most depressed, she felt the serene presence of God very yes, powerfully. Yes. But at minorsoul.info, um, we've seen many people come back to us on that and say, actually, when I was deeply depressed, I just I couldn't really feel that God was there at all. Mm. And that's a common experience. Um, and I guess if you're feeling guilty as well, you can then begin to question whether or not God would love you in the situation absolutely. you're in. And there can yeah. be a lot of doubts that And then that, that, that again compounds the story, which yes. is actually, I am worthless I'm useless, yeah. I'm dysfunctional, I deserve to be cast out of the church, my faith is weak, God, isn't, God doesn't love me anymore, and then we find ourselves in a deep lament. And, and this is terrible because you know, the church is about binding up the brokenhearted. And um, actually, with some depressed people, we are we are breaking the hearts of the brokenhearted a second time. Making people feel even more guilty yeah, than they did absolutely. in the first place. And um, so no wonder many people are silent about their depression in church. Yes. And interesting as well, because I guess a lot of people will say, oh, well, just pull yourselves together or, or your behaviour is not logical. But that then is a misunderstanding of the thought process yeah, that someone's going through. Absolutely. Uh, we took something about um, cognitive distortions a bit later on. But uh, the suggestion is that um, you know everyone's mind is like a clear horizon. And, and for depressed people, there's one dark cloud on the horizon. And, and so the challenge to people who are depressed is pull your head out of that cloud and just enjoy the full array of the blue skies around you. When actually for depressed people, all they have is the cloud. Yes. So by saying to them, pull, your, you know, pull yourself together or pull your head out of the cloud, it's like, where, where are you going to put your head now? Yes. Because all, all you have is the cloud. Mm. So um, you know, for well people, it's easy to say, pull yourself together or snap out of it or think something positive. But if your brain isn't allowing you to do that, mm. then no matter how strong your will, um, you can't. And you can't really it makes a mockery you. of medicine, doesn't it? Really? If it was that easy, would there be um, so many, 40 million scripts for antidepressants in this country in the last year? Yeah. Well, at the moment, I'm talking to Will Vanderhart of mindandsoul.info about depression. And we're also going to be covering the topic of OCD later on the show as well. If you've got a question you'd like to put to him this morning, we're talking about how the church can support those with depression and OCD, perhaps how we can break the stigma. Maybe you'd like to share something of your experiences. Do get in touch with us this morning. You can phone us 08450 21 21 21. That's 08450 21 21 21. And don't worry, if you phone up, 
you won't go straight through to being on air. You can just leave a comment if you like, and you can be anonymous because I do understand it's a sensitive issue. You can email us your questions and queries as well, studio at premier.org.uk, studio at premier.org.uk, or send us a text message, 66777, putting Premier as the first word of your message. Just had a message from Elaine and Dudley. It says, hi, Maria, could you play the song Christ Alone Cornerstone for me? Elaine, this song is for you. The time is four minutes past eleven. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. It's Woman to Woman, the show for Christian women with me, Maria Rodriguez, top sponsored by Sagic.co.uk. But it's time right now to talk about our topic of the day. Woman to Woman, it's time to talk. Well, we all have periods in our lives when we feel a bit down. Maybe we have a, a day we might feel, think, oh, I'm feeling a bit depressed today. But as we've heard already so far on the show, that's quite different from being de- diagnosed with depression. On the show, we're not only talking about depression today, uh, how we as a church can respond to that and support those who are going through depression, but also we're going to be delving in a bit deeper into OCD as well, obsessive compulsive disorder. Many of you have been sending through messages and thoughts and questions to my studio guest, Will Vanderhart from mindandsoul.info this morning. Will, one of the themes that's coming through from quite a lot of listeners is about how you can distinguish between depression and and something spiritual that's not right we've got a listener here who says i'm home today because i just can't cope with the world i feel horribly guilty about it i've been down for a few days now how do i know whether this is just depression a bad day something spiritual and then somebody else has said uh, something fairly similar saying some days it feels like even simple tasks like washing it too much but other days i get loads done is it depression is it there a spiritual dimension to depression can prayer help look uh, maria this is a question we get asked over and over again and, and, and our approach is always to say this if you go to the doctor with a terrible flu uh, and you get a diagnosis for that flu is it spiritual um and, and and our response would be yes it is spiritual but it's also physical and it's also neurochemical you know why do you feel low after a terrible flu because your body's wiped out brain struggling you know and 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 it takes a few days to get back into things again um the 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 danger the struggle that we face with mental health is that people always categorize this as an either or issue so it's either the devil uh, or it's or it's neurochemical it's it's a neurological problem or it's a psychological problem it's never both and Mm -hmm. and you know we, we we see this all the time you know we we cannot categorize mental health problems that either the spiritually rooted or psychologically rooted we are whole people we are mind body and spirit together um and so my encouragement to listeners here is not to categorize mental health problems as spiritual problems but to see them as what they are Mm. they're spiritual they are physical they're emotional and they are relational problems And, and and so we have to see them in the round um, and, uh, you know, there's no doubt that, uh, in my mind, as, as a Christian leader, that, of course, the, de- the devil is part of, you know, you know the process of, of being disabled from being the people, the full people that we are called to be. Uh, but that's true for every ailment. And, um, you know, yet it's, you know, it's, it's not politically correct to say to someone who's got diabetes, oh, well, this is obviously spiritually rooted. I think it also shouldn't be politically correct or socially or spiritually correct to say to someone who's depressed, this is all spiritually rooted. Mm. Um, even if someone is healed of depression uh, overnight at, at a meeting in a miraculous way, it often takes them a lifetime to walk out what that healing actually looks like. So, you know, you can be healed from depression, you can be healed from diabetes, you could be healed from a- any disease or serious illness. But if you've been wheelchair bound for 10 years and suddenly you were healed, you don't just start tomorrow and just kind of go, well, now everything is easy. You've got to work out what it looks like to live life now. Mm, it's a sort um, of transition phase, isn't there? There is. And, and, and you know, we're talking about something which is complex. You know, if I ask the listeners to wiggle their toes, you're able to do that. Um, because your brain is operating your toes. But if I say to the listeners, wiggle your brain, uh, (laughs) that's that's a big problem. You can't can't think about the thing that you're using to think about itself with. Mm. You know, how can we think about our brain when we're using our brain to think about our brain? Yes. Uh, So, 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 you know, we all want a red button when it comes to mental health problems. We want to go to the front of the church, press that red button, and they'll be free of depression, free of OCD, free of anxiety, and, and, and say it was all spiritual. But actually what we have to do is we have to take responsibility for our minds and recognise that, yes, it's in part spiritual, but in large part it's, it's behavioural 
and it's also neurochemical uh it's it's also psychological and it's often rooted in 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 life pain as well we hear a lot of people saying though you can kind of take captive of your thoughts you have the authority to to change your thought pattern how would you respond to that as a response to depression well i mean when it comes to ocd if you start talking to people about taking their thoughts captive you're in real trouble um as soon as someone with ocd starts to take captive the thoughts that they already think are too important uh, they are become they become disabled for life, so it's a really dangerous uh, approach. You know the whole idea of taking your thoughts captive. When Paul says take every thought captive, for people with mental health problems, taking a thought captive is about disempowering the thought. If you think about what it means to take someone captive, if your enemy is running around with a big sword and you take your enemy captive, you're basically disempowering him. Now, with mental health problems, the sort of taking a thought captive that is healthy is disempowering a thought. It's not holding on to that thought, claiming that thought, and trying to destroy that thought. We know something called thought suppression does not work. So if I say to listeners now, don't think about a pink elephant. Don't, <laughs> yes. do you, no one is allowed, mm. no listener is allowed to think about a pink elephant. Now, I can tell you right now that every listener is currently struggling with an image of a pink elephant in their minds. Mm. And that's because as soon as we tell the brain to stop thinking about something, it sets up its own kind of endocrine warning, which basically says, if you think about this thing, there's going to be a problem. And therefore, it's constantly scanning for the presence of a pink elephant. If I told all the listeners to, 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 to think about a pink elephant all the time, after about 20 seconds, they'd get quite bored mm. and then their minds would start to wander onto other things. So in, in, in this way taking a thought captive is often not thinking about it you know by actually saying it's okay to think about this yes yeah, so sort of turn it turning it around so, yeah, yeah. But, you know we the whole you know a, a name it claim it culture where it, where mental health is concerned is a real problem and thought suppression is a real problem um and you know often we have this idea of taking thoughts captive well some people i can tell you spending the whole day taking their thoughts captive and not actually living their life, mm. which is a new form of captivity. Yes, <laughs> so it just adds to the, the captivity and the lack of freedom. Yeah. We've had a message from someone here saying, I've got a family member who I suspect uh, suffers with OCD, but they don't seem to be aware or have a clue. How do I deal with that? Do I just turn a blind eye? Well, it's a really helpful question um, because OCD is a disorder which uh, you know, is, is, is very uncomfortable. <clears throat> and so when someone but it can is, look very different for mm. different people depending on what their sort of compulsion yes, is. absolutely. It, it depends what their obsession is. So um, if their obsession is cleanliness, obviously they're going to be cleaning a lot of time with contamination. Uh, most people with OCD actually don't demonstrate any outward compulsion. Uh, nearly all of it. They're called checkers. And what they're worried about are negative thoughts that come into their mind. So if they're walking down the street and maybe there's a, a disabled person coming towards them with a stick. Now... Uh, unfortunately, what we call the id of the mind might pop into the uh, the idea that actually you could um, stand in front of that person, bump into them, and that that would make them fall over. Now, for a, someone with obsessive compulsive disorder, having that thought pop into their mind means an awful lot. They suddenly become terribly anxious that they are a bad person, and they start searching for evidence that they are a bad person to affirm what they believe about themselves because of the sort of thought that's popped into their mind. Now, it, it sounds convoluted, but it's a really painful experience for many people. What, what, the, uh, what the listener there is accounting is someone who's got an outward compulsion. So it might well be cleaning or checking. Uh, it might well be grooming or symmetry or counting. Uh, all this stuff looks quite odd. If it starts to interfere, I mean, the, the diagnostic outlook says if it's interfering with life for an hour or more a day, then it certainly needs to be addressed clinically. But tough, though, for family members who are watching on thinking, I don't know what to do about yeah, this. And, and, and the best advice I could give any listener who's got a family member with an obsessive-compulsive disorder is do not accommodate the disorder. Do not accommodate it. Turning a blind eye to it actually can, makes it grow and it will always take more space in your life. People might have seen the film The Aviator about Howard Hughes, an uh, incredibly gifted man who died, I think, in the penthouse suite of the Dorchester Hotel, naked and attended by all sorts of servants. Uh, he had a contamination OCD, and he basically uh, was terrified of bodily fluids, and everything had to be kept in jars and stored. Because of the accommodation of his servants, who were all getting paid a huge amount of money to look after him, he basically li li lived a terribly sad and reclusive end of life. 
uh, it was all because of his OCD being accommodated. If he'd actually challenged his OCD through something called exposure and response prevention, which is the kind of the key tool for overcoming OCD, he could have lived a full and a happy and enjoyable life. So don't accommodate OCD. If you think someone's got a problem, make an appointment to see a GP with them and actually talk through some of the symptoms that you're seeing. Or have a look at the Mind Soul site. Look at... Um, Look up OCD and uh, and you'll find out more. But uh, if you accommodate it, it will always steal Accentuate more it, of, yes. your, of your life. Now, this morning I'm talking to um, Will Vanderhart from mindandsoul.info and he's just giving some advice and answering some of your questions on depression and OCD. Do get in touch with us. You can phone 08450 email studio at premier.org.uk or text us 66777, putting Premier as the first word of your message. Now, earlier on we were talking about Catherine Welby uh, quite, being quite open about her experience of depression but also saying how you know she was aware of God in that situation. For some people, they get to a low point, they feel almost like God is not there. Holly sent a text message. She says, I've suffered with anxiety for a while. For me, I've never felt ashamed of my journey through life and what's happened. I know that whatever I go through, I will always have God's love. He understands my journey and this is my path um, to becoming a stronger person. I love God and God loves me. He gets me through every dark day. He's my son through the clouds. So it's showing that you can have these sort of mix of emotions. You can know the love of God at the same time as feeling low. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and you know, for me, as someone who struggled with an anxiety disorder, if you, you know, might have People might have, you know, some listeners have read the Worry Book, which I wrote with Rob uh, a couple of years ago. Um, you know, God is you know is essential to me in my mental wellness, and and I know that He understands and He's present with me. Equally, I know that God doesn't want to compound my guilt by making me feel like a less of a Christian. Mm-hmm. You need to read the stories of some of the great saints to know that actually it's okay to be depressed and to be a Christian in the same way as it's okay to be disabled and to be a Christian. No one would say to someone in a wheelchair who's got a chronic problem that somehow they're less of a Christian because they carry a physical disability. And I don't think anyone should say to someone who's got chronic depression that they are less of a Christian because they have a chronic cognitive problem. Yes. Um, you know, we've got to get away from these categories of stigma. And one of the things we're trying to do as Mind and Soul is to challenge stigma in our churches. Ironically, the very establishment that God has come to, you know, to left us with to bring healing and wholeness to the lost and the last and the least is one of the hotbeds of stigma for people with mental health problems. And so we, we, we'd love people to follow us on Mind and Soul, dot U, uh, Mind and Soul UK on Twitter, uh, Twitter me, Vicar Will, uh, join the Facebook group, um, Mind and Soul, and help us to inform the church about mental health stigma and actually say, look, let's, let's get over this. Let's, let's move on. Yeah, you mentioned just there the worry book, and and we've talked about anxiety in the past. Rebecca in Staffordshire says, just wanted to say thank you to Will for his worry book. It was really life changing for me with my anxiety and worry. I'm so grateful that he shared his own experiences, which make you realise you're not alone. I'm also realising that guilt comes from the devil, not from God. Many thanks, Rebecca. So, uh, oh, Rebecca, that's very <laughs> sweet. I mean, I think what we do need to do is, I'm I'm a church leader, and I'm a very uh, prolific blogger and the like, mm. and and you know, it's, it's difficult, Maria. You know, to, I, I get labelled the mental health priest. I'm sure yeah. Some people just say I'm a bit nuts. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and, you know, it's, it, there are costs to coming out as someone who struggles with a mental health problem. I, you know, I'd love to tell the listeners that I no longer have generalised anxiety disorder. But the reality is I do. And I might well have it for the rest of my life. I pray that God might release me from it for fin- finally. But I equally know that a lot of me living well is about my decisions every day to live with God in faith and to do the practical and the cognitive things to enable me to live free. Mm. But, um, you know, I'm full of faith. Um, no, this isn't a punishment from God. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so, you know, we need more leaders uh, to come out and say publicly, look, I struggle with a mental health problem. I can tell you, and mine and soul, a lots of leaders contact us and they say, shh, don't tell anyone, but I really need some help with my mental health. Mm. And their congregations are in the dark because their congregations look at them as sort of superhuman, never make any, never have any problems, never have any issues, certainly couldn't possibly have a mental health problem. And, and so the, the kind of illusion that Christians are, are kind of free of this stuff and don't suffer from it is propagated. We, yes. need, to, we need to break that. 
And we've had a message that someone's phoned up and just left a message that the church needs to do more to highlight mental health. Clergy need to be more clued up on it. So uh, Yes, they do, <laughs> they do. And, you know, there's a hope for this. You know, Rowan Williams is fantastic. Uh, in his final year as Archbishop of Canterbury, he, you know, he, he spent a year investing in youth mental health. He came to visit Minor Soul, a, a, a project running at St. Peter's. Uh, my friend Rebecca Hamer is running called the Space Project that s- supports self-esteem in vulnerable girls. You know, we're trying to do grassroots work. And he was passionate about that. I Equally, I know there are loads of priests out there who are doing great work. Mm. And we've got to remember, you know, the church was the place where people with mental health problems got well. You know, I was reading a lovely letter by um, Charles Wesley's wife who was trying to rescue a doctor friend from Bedlam, which was the mental institute in London. Um, yeah, and, and, and they understood the purpose and the role of the church in mental health. It's only the last hundred years that we've really abdicated responsibility for it. Yeah, fascinating there. Well, at the moment, Will Vanderhart of info talking to us about depression and OCD. We're going to take some more of your comments and your questions very shortly. The time is 25 minutes past 11. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. And on the show today, we're talking about depression and OCD, how we can respond to them uh, from a Christian perspective, how the church can support those who are going through depression or suffering with OCD. I've got Will Vanderhart in studio from Mind and Soul, who's giving us some thoughts and advice. And a number of you have uh, been brave enough to actually come on air to share something of your thoughts. First of all, we've got Michael on the line. Good morning to you, Michael. Hi, morning, Maria. So tell us what you wanted to talk about this morning, Michael. Oh, wow. Um, well, I, I just wanted to say thank you so much, Maria, for all the, you know, for what you're doing on the show. I think it's a, uh, yeah, major, major task to tackle, but it's so important. Thank you, Michael. Yes. Um, You've I, suffered with depression yourself, have you, Michael? Yeah, I have. I have um, suffered with depression, stress and depression for the last, well, at least two years. And I think looking back on things, probably longer, to be honest. Um, but just, you know, I guess not willing to acknowledge that. Um but yeah, it's been an amazing journey. Uh, I, I've been on medication for about probably a year, year and a bit. Um, Did you think twice before having medication? Did you wonder whether as a Christian it was okay to take medication? Were you quite fine about it? Oh, didn't want to do it. <laughs> didn't want to do it at all. It was a great um, hurdle I had to get over. But um, I think talking to my GP, I mean, he knows me really well. And um, he was, you know, I'm adamant that I had to do it. Um, so I just thought, well, I'll give it a go. Um, it was hard, but... Um, Did it make a yeah. difference, Michael? Not, not, well, it was one of those things, to be honest. Um, the first uh, set of medication he put me on was, yeah, I didn't react very well to that, so that had to get that changed. But um, after a while, yeah, I, I settled down on the um, second uh, um, uh, prescription that he put me on and uh, yeah it's a poor settle down but um yeah it, it did help it did help and i think it's a matter of getting over that that embarrassment and stigma really about taking medication yeah because that's uh, an interesting one I, I just wanted to bring will in here because i mean will for a lot of questions they'll they'll say well hang on a minute i'm not too sure about medication yeah that's really common. I mean, I think Michael's brilliant. It's brilliant to have Michael on, on air. What Michael's just um, referenced there is a really common issue. There are lots and lots of different sorts of antidepressant medication. And the, the one that's typically used uh, for unipolar depression is, a, is an SSRI. It's a serotonin reuptake inhibitor, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor. Um, now, normally what happens with medication like this is that some, not everything works for everyone, but something will work for everyone. Mm. So typically what will happen is that you'll see your GP and they will make a prescription of something that they think will work for you. Some people do react badly initially to one medication, but often a different sort of SSRI medication uh, will will actually make huge benefits. So I, I want to encourage... Uh, all listeners to be as brave as Michael's been there. Mm. Um, you know, most people don't want to go on medication. Uh, non Christians as well. Yes. You know, most people don't <laughs> think actually that that taking medication will help them um, because it's hard to imagine how taking a tablet will affect your mind mm. uh, in that kind of way. But 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 it, it's about perseverance. Normally, the first four to six weeks are a little bit shaky as minor side effects normally dissipate. 
and then benefit has begun to feel effect. Some people make the big mistake of taking tablets for a couple of days, saying they're not working, and then, and then, then give stopping. Up, yes. <laughs> Actually, you receive a benefit normally after four to six weeks. Interesting. So perseverance is really important. Keep talking to your healthcare provider about how yes. you're dealing with the you know, minor side effects. Yeah. Uh, and then normally things like dry mouth or sickness in the morning uh, or mild dizziness. They're, they're not normally kind of particularly pronounced, but it's, it's really important to keep the conversation. Yeah. Uh, we've got an anonymous uh, listener who's on the phone just wants to get some advice about uh, low-level depression. Hello. Good morning to you. Oh, hi there. Hello. Hi. What did hi. you want to ask hi. this morning? Um. I myself have suffered from depression as a Christian and um, I'd just like to say, Michael, you're very brave to comment. Come <laughs> um, I, I had, oh, I went on um, SSRIs for about a year and it did help, definitely. I'm not on them at the moment. Um, I'm not on them anymore. Um, but what I did want to ask about was my mum. I think kind of low mood has kind of runs in our family a bit, but my mum's kind of suffered for low mood for as long as I can remember, and I've always, I'm trying to encourage her to go to the GP, but she won't, she hasn't gone. She's actually 83 now, um, but I would dearly love for her to be able to get some kind of help. She's not a Christian. Listener, that's um. Thank you again for coming on. It's brilliant that that you've you've come forward like this. Uh, now, in terms of treatment, the best place to start is always with with the GP, and I, I want all listeners to recognise that's the case. You know, don't don't start for treatment in your church by saying I just need a, uh, someone to pray for me. Get get someone to pray for you, and then go and see the GP. So to just try not to, as we say, dissect treatment into either spiritual or, or, or medical. Your GP will normally set you off on a course of medication to start with, but, but the NICE guidelines, the guidelines for clinical excellence in this country, suggest that, that sessions of therapy, cognitive behavioural therapy particularly, and medication combined offer the best outcomes for recovery from depression. Mm. And so what we need to be doing uh, in this country particularly is making sure that people are receiving the, the counselling support that they need to make significant changes to their thinking, their outlooks, and processing their past, as well as giving them medication so support. So sort of a ho- whole sort of package. Yeah, but- absolutely. And, that, and that's the, the, the best way of approaching depression is this holistic yeah. outlook. Now, the, the listener, you, the listener's mother here is the, is the one who's struggling. And, you know, there are life stages where the prevalence of depression increases. Um, and old age is one of those. I worked in a senile dementia clinic for eight months when I was training for ministry and I saw that a number of the of, of the elderly people there were needing an antidepressant. There's one that was used typically amongst old people called Siroxat for a number of years. Uh, it was very popular for, for, for medicating the sort of over 80s who were struggling with low mood. Um, and, uh, you know, again, it's, it's at 83, I would suggest the listener that actually they are in the driving seat to go and see um, the GP on behalf of the mother, just as much as if the mother's starting to demonstrate any any kind of of the symptoms of senile dementia or, or or Alzheimer's disease, it would be important for the listener to go and talk to the GP directly to to describe the sort of symptoms. And and right. it is good to write them symptoms down, particularly yeah. what time is mother waking up, what's her appetite like, how active is she in the day, is she nodding off during the day, uh, is she particularly tearful at any times of day. Try and note down the times. Mm, so you're then, sort of prepared for any questions that come your way from the GP. Mary, the, 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 the key thing is developing a picture or a well, clinical profile so what you're doing is you're, you're seeing how depression tends to be cyclical so some people feel particularly unwell in the mornings and then elderly people very often move from uh, into noc- nocturnalism so they typically will move into sleeping late and staying up late um, yeah. and often there's signs of depression that begin to come in there so um, go to the GP with a week's long account of, of the sort of symptoms and then, mm-hmm. and then have a discussion with him about it. I mean, a part of the problem, I suppose, is that I don't live near my mum. Right. Well, maybe she has a carer or a friend who could take that responsibility. Right. Or, yeah. or I w- guess it's just finding somebody who can go to the GP on her behalf. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it, 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 it's, it's, it's important to note as well. We, I know we had another caller earlier talking about the interaction between the menopause and depression. Um, some women suffer from actually a cyclical post-menstrual um, cycle, which involves depressive feelings over two or three days. Uh, it's right. a really difficult sort of disorder. It's certainly true that... Uh, that, that that um, midlife seasons often provide um, instigation of, of, of these sort of feelings. Mm. Um, so there are they, they do they lock into life changes. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, I hope that's helpful for you and you're able to, to respond in some way to that and, and just be encouraged that it, but hopefully um, you'll be able yeah. to get some sort of solution. Yes, thank you ever so much. No, it's a pleasure. All God the best with that. God bless you. Bye. Uh, we've got one final caller. Uh, we'll squeeze in who um, would like to get some advice about OCD and would like to remain anonymous. Good morning to you. Good morning. Hi. Hello. Oh, hello. Hi hello. There. Hello. Sorry, it's difficult when everyone's anonymous. I don't know if it's, <laughs> yeah. if it's me, if it's someone else. <laughs> yes, basically, um, I do hoard um, uh, things and it's hard for me to let go of um, uh, stuff, you know. Um, I have been a checker in the past, and I still check things, but not so bad. I have been, I have, I think it's all linked with uh, bringing up my family, and I have suffered rejection in the past from members of my family. Um, It's just letting go of stuff, and I know God wants me to, because, well, I'm a born-again Christian. I read a verse once, the Master's voice, and I wept when I was reading it, he was telling me to sort of uh, get rid of the baggage of my life. <laughs> yeah, that, well, that's yeah. It, if, it, it would be great if it was that easy. The, the, yeah. the thing is, I mean, you might have seen, um, actually, there's a, another television program recently about uh, obsessive hoarders, um, yeah, which might, might have rung a few bells with you. Yeah. Uh, people really struggle to understand hoarding behaviours, but the key, the key way of understanding them is that, is that items, rather than people, um, have a comfort value. And... Oh, and very often what happens is that the items themselves they they suggest to the person you know through the through the person's own mind uh, in 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 a kind of a cognitive way they they suggest that they might be necessary in the future to avert some sort of harm so the the the, the common thing that people are thinking hoarders particularly are thinking i might need this in the future, it, yeah. so I mustn't throw it away. Um, and uh, underpinning OCD is this terrible anxiety that you might do something wrong or that you might have done something wrong in the past. Yeah. And that, that, that wrongness uh, will somehow impede the relationships that you really care about. So, right. you know, w- what, what you're worried about with hoarding normally is that you'll throw something away that will be needed for your family in the future, yeah. and as a result of your stupidity in inverted commas and throwing it away, your yeah. family will suffer. Now, the irony right. is that through hoarding, you will yeah. actually, you're actually actively damaging normally the relationships that you have with your family who you're wanting to protect. So overcoming OCD very often is about coming to a place with it where you understand why you're doing what you're doing, but actually you start to value the things that you really care about more than the potential of danger in the future. Um, And what, what I have to say to all listeners is... If you're struggling with OCD, you have to accept a modicum of pain. The more you try to eradicate the anxiety in your life and get that good, peaceful feeling, um, the more you will become a slave to OCD. So it will, phys- it will emotionally hurt you to throw things away. But actually the pain that you suffer in throwing something away yeah. will make it easier to throw something away the next day. Why newspapers um, and magazines? It's mainly newspapers and magazines. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and well. within newspapers and magazines, there's the idea that there might be something important in there that you haven't read. Now, uh-huh. if you want to overcome OCD, you have to become what we call tolerant of uncertainty. And the more intolerant of uncertainty you are, the more certainty you want in life, the more of a slave you become to OCD. And um, okay. the, best, the best resources I've read, there's two guys who I think are, are brilliant on OCD, and you can look them up on the net. One is a guy called Fred Penzel, and the other guy is a guy called Stephen Phillipson. Um, yeah. And if you want to start off by really understanding OCD, I would encourage you to read an article on OCD action by Stephen Phillipson called Thinking the Unthinkable. Um, yeah. It's a great place to start. The, okay. key, the key thing is to recognise, actually, the, you have to answer this question for yourself. How much do you want to live your life and enjoy your family? And how much do you want to make your life safe and make the life of your family safe? Now, both those questions are valid questions to ask, but you have to accept at the end of the day that living is the most important thing. Um, Many people with OCD spend a lot of time not really living and just making things safe. So um, start there, and if you want to have a look at Fred Penzel's stuff, 10 Things You Need to Know to Overcome OCD is a great article to begin with.
Okay. Right. I hope that helps. Okay. Oh, Take nice. care. Anyway. All the best with that. All I hope right. you, Hope you, uh, you so I hope much. you feel able to throw something away this morning. <laughs> yeah. God bless. God take bless care. you. Bye. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye. Bye now. We're going to take a short break, but at the moment we're talking about depression and OCD with Will van der Hart and lots of messages coming through and we'll address some more of those in just a moment. The time is quarter to midday. Listening to Woman to Woman, the show for Christian women with me, Maria Rodriguez, taught and the show sponsored by Sajic.co.uk, Insurance and the Salvation Army. Well, this morning we've been talking about depression and OCD and we've got Will Vanderhart of MindandSoul.info in the studio sharing something about his thoughts on how we can be handling those in our lives or even if it's us or other people in our church who are suffering with depression. So many messages of thanks coming through this morning, Will, just for talking about this topic. Um, Moira in Ab- Aberdeen just says, want to say thank you for talking about this but she said she says really needed information today on depression ocd so she's very grateful to have tuned in she said it's not just people in the church though who will often blame people or be prejudiced or aggressive towards people who suffer she said also some healthcare professionals as well uh, which means that recovery can be prolonged so just an interesting one she wants a general understanding in society yeah but- i mean I, th- and I think there's some great campaigns that are doing that particularly uh, time to change campaign um has been really changing public perceptions of mental health i also i mean i've got my 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 sister and my brother-in-law are both doctors um and i have some sympathy for them in that you know you know they do deal with a lot of patients on a daily basis and and patients who are coming in you know particularly with neurotic conditions sometimes on a daily basis with people particularly like health anxiety uh, it's it's difficult sometimes to kind of retain their patients but we do we do need a culture which fully understands mental health definitely in order to be able to support people properly mm. we've had a message here from someone says so she's just listening to the program now she has suffered from depression and anxiety some ocd on and off since an early age and in 2006 i was diagnosed with asperger's a form of autism uh interesting there just she was thinking maybe ocd can be linked to autism so it's just interesting how all these all different yeah. areas can yeah, be Yeah, and there has been study about that. I mean, so, certainly we do see a lot of obsessive behaviours within autistic children, um, and anyone who's listening who's got an autistic child will notice that. There's, there's something as well, I mean, we should note this, there's obsessive-compulsive disorder, there's also obsessive-compulsive personality disorder, which is actually a completely different thing. Um, but uh, in, many, in, in many depressions and, uh, you know, in many seasons of anxiety, there will be what we call obsessional thinking. Um, and there has been quite a lot of study and discussions about this uh, something we call the term pure o which means obsessions but without compulsions mm. um and there's a lot of there's a lot of debate about that i i'm a bit of a skeptic on the basis that i think lots of people have obsessions in their mind and their compulsions are also in their mind so they might not be washing their hands or cleaning the floors but actually they go back in their mind to check their memories uh, to review activities i mean a good example of someone who's driving to work here's a bang as they're driving along uh, some of the OCD might think I've knocked a cyclist off their off their bike mm. actually the bang was the bin was someone emptying their bins but they heard the noise they get out of their car they check the side of their car to see if there's any dents and damages yes. and then they spend the whole day worrying that actually that somehow they might have hit someone they didn't know it so they obsess about it and then their mind is reviewing it that becomes the compulsion mm. But I think, you know, people can be listening to this and whether they can relate to it or not, actually taking that step, particularly with OCD, to go to the to the GP must be quite a big one because you can be thinking, well, what am I going to tell the GP? Yes, but remember that actually such is the prevalence of mental health issues within our society. Your GP today will be very clued up on the majority of, of, of issues that people face mentally. A large part of his work will be treating people for psychological conditions and he's effectively a, a good signpost to receive further treatment. So, so GPs who are struggling to understand what's going on will often make a referral um, and it's so so good now are the resources that are on the net. It's very it's possible to understand an awful lot about some complex disorders uh, just by just by reading up about them. Yes. The key thing for people though reading the things on the net is make sure you go to a reputable information provider. There's lots of charlatans out there, mm. uh, and if you want to start somewhere, have a look at info site. Uh, we signpost a lot of different organisations, but the key thing is that uh, you know if it looks like a herbal remedy that will get rid of all of your problems. 
the likelihood is it's a complete waste of your time and money. Mm. Um, so start with um, charities like Mind and Rethink Mental Illness are a really good place to begin. And lots of great articles, as you said, on Mind and Soul. So if you go online to www.mindandsoul.info on there, everything you could imagine, all sorts of topics, um, you know, ranging from sort of emotional instability to depression to anxiety to suicide, a whole range of things, stress and much more in there that you can read up on from from a Christian point of view. And uh, yeah, it's not just me. Remember, it's uh, Dr. Rob Waller, one of the country's leading uh, psychiatrists and uh, Dr. Kate Middleton, clinical psychologist. So you haven't just got a vicar's perspective there. There's a, there's a four <laughs> Unfortunately, there's yeah. a huge amount of medical knowledge in yeah. the background and psychological knowledge. Yeah, so, uh, absolutely yeah. fantastic. And so you can go online there to mindandsoul.info to find out more. So to the Mind and Soul Facebook page or follow them on Twitter as well. Um, Will, we were mentioning earlier on that sometimes we can't really get into the mind of someone who's got depression, that we ask, often tell them to kind of pull themselves together. Do you think part of understanding in church is being able to support people with depression is actually trying to be able to understand what it is they're going through? Yeah, look, we, we need to begin with education. This has always been the case, you know, yeah. where it came to, when it was, when it was you know, racial rights, when it was uh, disabilities, mm. uh, when it was, you know, understanding society or social deprivation. Education reduces stigma. Yeah. Now, where people are educated and they can understand, then they become less prejudicial. Sure. The challenge we face with mental health is that it, it's kind of, I think it's lagging 10 years behind the disabilities agenda. So where our churches 10, 15 years ago started installing disabled access ramps and providing toilets, which had, you know, which were wheelchair friendly mm-hmm. and uh, providing hearing aid loops, the churches with regard to mental health is 10 to 15 years behind that and we're only now i mean i'd say this year is significant for us in terms of the work we're doing i think last month we had 140,000 hits on the minor soul site about christianity and mental health here and you know it, it, it feels like a tipping point in terms mm. of the interest obviously sadly rick warren's son committed suicide of course, just after yes. christmas that was a really really significant change uh, a seed change in the in the hearts and minds of many people in the states who again suddenly was struck by the reality that if if one of the world's most famous pastor's sons could take his own life because of his critical depression um you know no one was immune to this this problem so we need to educate uh, and you know this means educating people beyond making simple spiritual assumptions which is you know what we go back to the beginning you know everyone's problem is obviously spiritually rooted this is clearly the devil Mm. it's just the devil (laughs) and uh, it's someone's weak faith and if they had more faith they wouldn't be depressed um it's just that's just not reality so we need to get over that uh, and we, we need to also stop looking for, um, you know, for sort of very uh, button-pressing you know, healing mm. models and go for the enduring one. Jesus said if someone asks you to carry the bags for a mile or walk with them for a mile, you walk the extra mile. Yeah. Very often with depressed people, we need to walk a long way yes. and uh, welcome them, you know, for the long haul. Yeah, well, we're out of time, but thank you so much for joining us today. It's a pleasure. Thanks um, so much. It's been great to be in the studio with you. Um, and lots of encouraging messages coming through. People really appreciate what we're discussing this topic today, which just shows it's just so important for the church to talk about. Yeah, so thank thanks you. to all the listeners who phoned in. It's very brave. I'm really encouraged. Keep speaking out. So if you would like to find out more information, go online to mindandsoul.info. Also, we do have Premier Lifeline. If you're listening this morning, you'd like to talk to someone, just anonymously have someone to give you some advice or to pray with you, you can call that number anytime, 0845 0707. That's 0845-345-0707. We'll make sure we put today's discussion online at premier.org.uk forward slash woman either later on today or tomorrow morning. And you can listen back and you can send the link to family and friends who you think might benefit from what we've been talking about. Show back tomorrow from 10.35am. I hope you can join me again tomorrow. We're going out on a great song from Lara Martin entitled Fingerprints. Fingerprints.